it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 85. So tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about dividends, our favorite subject. Andrew, over the weekend, had some revelations on some thoughts on dividends and some metrics, and he's got some great blog posts that are going to be coming out here shortly that will talk a lot about what we're going to be talking, touching on tonight. So some of the metrics that we're going to talk a little bit about are going to be current yield, recent dividend growth, uh, consecutive years of dividend growth, and yield on cost. And I'm going to have Andrew go ahead and start us off, and he's going to be kind of the lead guy tonight, and I'll throw in my two cents on occasion when I feel it's relevant. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take us away? All right, I'll take the wheel. So, by the way, um, by the time this goes live, those posts will be on the blog. So if you go on there, going to be a four-post series, and uh, you can go in-depth and really get deep into the weeds so it's actually useful and you can actually use it when you're trying to look at dividend stocks. I figure we would talk about some of the ways that people currently try to find good dividend stocks. It's a great primer for beginners. And and there's some good metrics that we really haven't touched on much in any of the episodes that we've recorded. Uh, and stuff you'll see in, in financial websites when you're sifting through dividend stocks, trying to find you know, the ones that will really drip and, and do really well give you outsized returns for your portfolio but you know some of these metrics also have some things missing with them and so that's what i'll kind of get deeper into and we can maybe have a little bit of a thought experiment on how we can make some of these metrics better and and hopefully give ourselves better results at the very least be able to take away some uh, misconceptions on different stocks or companies that maybe look better appear to be better than they really are and so there's a lot of these metrics that are kind of really popular that uh, a lot of the smart managements know to you know prop these numbers up to make everything look good but maybe you scratch one level under the surface and you find out that it's not as rosy as they're trying to make it so if we can just take that analysis to the next step then we can 
use these metrics and, and use them in a better way, right? So I think first thing, let's talk about dividend yield. This is very simple. It's uh, you buy a stock and whatever dividend payment you get, that's going to be the yield. So as an example, if I'm buying a stock for $100, I'm getting a $3 dividend. That's a 3% yield. And so I think yield is something that's very common throughout a lot of different financial products. You think about savings accounts, money market accounts, anything that pays an interest and um, that interest that you're getting is a yield. And that's something we can all kind of conceptualize. Recent dividend growth. This is something that investors like to look at. And it makes sense because just in the same way that investors will look at a stock and how it's been growing, uh, they like to kind of project that into the future, which you know may or may not be a bad thing. Uh, there's always two sides to that coin, right? You can say that an object in motion tends to stay in motion. And and that you you do see that with stocks, obviously stocks that are have better businesses will tend to have better pasts, and and then they can continue that for better futures. The flip side of that is that uh, past performance does not predict or guarantee future results, and so just because a stock's done really well in the past doesn't mean uh, that it will do well in the future. So, like I said, there's kind of two ways to. Um, to think about that, but um, it's not completely useless to to look at uh, uh, past growth. And so you can do that with dividends. Uh, I think if you go, I think it's dividend.com. If you, if you look at the dividend history of any ticker symbol, you'll see one year, three year, five year, and 10 year dividend growth rates. I think those can be very helpful in um, trying to estimate maybe how how much compounding you'll see if you're dripping. Uh, and, and as a reminder, dripping means dividend reinvestment. You're, you're taking your dividends and you're buying more shares with them. You're reinvesting those dividends so you can accumulate more shares and, and grow your wealth in that way. So I think that's uh, something that can be very useful, very helpful. Uh, and something that can help you kind of make decisions. If you have a trade-off, right? You can run this in a spreadsheet. I've done it a ton of times, <laughs> being the spreadsheet nerd that I am. But you can take a stock with maybe like a 4% yield. If it only grows at, let's say, 3% a year and you compare it to a stock, maybe the yield was much lower and, and maybe you, you were only getting like a 1% yield to start. But if that's growing at 20% a year... It's not going to take very long for that one to outpace the 4% yield with only 3% growth. So again, you have to take that one with a grain of salt in the sense that you can't just guarantee that because the stock's grown its dividend for 20% for the past five years, that's going to do that in uh, the next five years. But it's a good indicator on exactly how good has management been at growing the dividend or not. So I think an easy resource for that is... Like I said, dividend.com has has those growth rates. I believe they go all the way up to 10 years. Um, so you can look at that. This is a, a metric I know dividend.com does report, and, and you can see it quite easily. Again, you would just Google uh, the ticker. So if I'm looking at, let's say, Disney, I would do DIS, and then I would say dividend history, put that in Google. 
dividend.com is going to be one of the top uh, links on there. And you, you click on that one. That's where you'll see how many years uh, they've consecutively grown the dividend. This is should be obvious for us. Um, and maybe Dave can talk about some of the uh, milestones for these dividend growers as they, as they get through the years. But essentially, you know, if you have, this goes back to drip and, and compounding. If you have a stock that's growing every single year, well, now you have an income stream that's not only that you're receiving every year, but it's growing. So it's like if, if you have a river, uh, an income stream that's like flowing into your portfolio like a river, you just imagine that river widening and, and it's going to widen at, uh, at a very accelerated rate if you're reinvesting those dividends. And so uh, you're going to get higher income streams from the new shares that you own plus uh, the company growing. And so that's really what makes dividend stocks magical. If you can find stocks with consecutive years of dividend growth kind of on their mantle as, as, as their own accomplishment, then that can be a good indication of a, of a stock that wants to keep that track record intact, keep that reputation intact and, and dividend investors really like to see that. And I know, uh, I don't know. Do you look at certain years that you preference? I, I don't really prefer, but I obviously I like to see more is better. Dave, do you have like a uh, do I look preference? Yeah, yeah. I try to look back on five or five or ten years and see see where they are uh, for their for their growth. And kind of what I like to do is I will go back five and ten years and then kind of look at a a range of how they're doing through those five to ten years. And I like to see it going up, obviously. And if I see it over the five-year period is going up and maybe over the 10-year period it's not, then I may try to go back farther and see what that's what's going on with that. This uh, dividend.com that you referenced, for example, I'm looking at uh, GLW or Corning, which is a company that I'm invested in right now. Uh, their dividend yield is 2.25 and their dividend growth has been for the last seven years. So it's not showing me the exact amount for the seven years, but it is showing me that they've been growing their dividend for the last seven years, which is nice to see as a company that I'm invested in currently. So it is a great, like Andrew said, it's a great reference It's to look up these numbers and kind of see where they're going. Really with dividends, I guess it really kind of depends on where you're investing them and you know, obviously there's the aristocrats and there's the kings that are going to have the 25 and 50 year dividend growth over those periods of time, which is amazing and awesome. And, you know, if you can find those companies that are undervalued so that you can buy them on sale, then that's even better. And I guess that's kind of my thought on that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, cool. I think it's one of those things that you'll You'll see journalists, analysts, people who cover stocks. They'll they'll tend to bring it up whenever it's relevant for a stock. So you'll when they talk about oh, AT and T was such a great stock to own over the last four decades. They'll also say, by the way, it also grew its dividend for 40, 50, 60 years, however long it was. I, I know some of my dividend right. fortresses are. So you know, I know some no. of my dividend fortresses are past that kind of coveted 10 years. I think when, when you see like a stock getting 
to 10 years of consecutive growth, I don't think there's a name for it yet, but it, it gets in this group that a lot of different websites and blogs like to focus on those. So it can be, you know, potential catalyst if, if you're buying the stock at seven or eight or nine years and it gets to that 10 year range. Just another good metric to keep in mind and something I like to look at. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to throw one one other thing out there. When we're talking about some of these ratios, I think to be careful of when you're looking at a company and you're trying to find let's say you're screening for a company and you're looking for a company that has a really great dividend yield i'm going to throw out there one that was unfortunately a big fail for me which was gamestop one of the things that attracted me to them and i think a lot of people initially was they had a really really great uh, dividend yield and in part that was because the stock price was taking a hammering and they weren't changing their dividend payment. So they're still paying the same amount out. But as the stock price dropped, their dividend yield rose and rose and rose. And that was one of the 
as Andrew was referencing the writers when they would uh, talk about GameStop, that was one of their selling points was this company has a fantastic dividend yield. And they did. I mean, at, at one point, I think when I owned the, the company, it was up to 10, 11%, which is, you know, REIT territory and it's unsustainable. And it was really because the company was getting hammered by the the stock market and the price was falling and falling and falling, but they weren't changing their dividend yield. Now that's obviously unsustainable. And I sold out of the stock, you know, about six months ago at a big loss. So it was a, uh, it was a big mistake on my part, but I guess my point being is, is that you have to be wary of the dividend yield and you have to kind of look and see how that relates to the actual stack stock price and, you know, go back a few years and see if that's something that A, is sustainable, and B, is it real? And in, you know, the circumstance with GameStop, it wasn't real. It was, it was a, it was a fake number. Not, it wasn't fake, but it was illusionary. It was not real. And it was not a great reason to invest in the company because they weren't raising their dividend yields super, super high. And I guess another factor I want to throw out there is the payout ratio. And looking at that as another metric that you can kind of keep in mind when you're investing in a company based on their dividend, you're looking, you want to find a company that's going to have a moderate payout ratio because that means they're not taking all their money and giving it back to you in a dividend. And they're using it either to reinvest in a company or having it as cash to sit on or using it to pay down their debt. You know, something else that's going to help improve the company. If they're giving it all back to you, then at some point they may have to change that, which is obviously a bad thing as well. So just a couple things to kind of keep in mind when you're looking at this whole dividend picture. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad you mentioned the payout ratio because that's huge. For somebody who's like green and maybe doesn't know much about, they don't even know what you mean when you say payout ratio. Can you define that real quick? Um, yeah, you're basically taking, um, you're taking the dividend that's being paid out and you kind of compare that to the earnings per share. And that's kind of how you calculate that. And depending on the company, and there are a, a, a few factors that you have to kind of keep in mind. So one is going to be the age of the company. So for example, let's take Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola has been around for, you know, about 10,000 years, uh, maybe not quite that long, but it's been around for a while. And they would definitely fall into the category of mature company. And they're not really growing per se. And they're certainly not growing like, let's say, Apple would be, for example, or a Facebook, maybe not Facebook right now. That's maybe not the best example, but uh, they're not necessarily growing. So when you compare their dividend ratio to their earnings per share, it's going to be quite high. It's probably, I'm just going to guess, it's going to be in the 75 to 85% range. And that's okay for them because, again, they're in a different stage of life than a company that's been around 10, 15 years. So you take somebody like Corning, for example. Now, the company's been around for quite some time, but they've really only had maybe the last 10 years or so, they've really started to kind of come into their own, so to speak. And their payout ratio is a little over, is 41%. And that is a great number to look at. You wouldn't want to see a company that's a younger company, let's say, I don't know, um, trying to think of somebody that would be younger that I could throw out there. Uh, well, let's take Facebook. Uh, if, if Facebook was paying a dividend 
and their payout ratio was 75, 85%, that would make me very nervous because that means that they're taking all their money and they're giving it back to us, which in the short term, that sounds like a great thing, but it's not so much because again, the company needs, they need cash. And when you're a younger company, you have debt to pay off, you have growth you're trying to stimulate. And when you're using the dividend to pay all that out. And then if you want to grow, then you got to figure out another way to do it, whether it's taking on more debt, which we don't want to see, or they're going to have to cut the dividend to buy another company or something like that. And you don't want to see that either. So those are, I guess, simply some quick, easy things to look at as depending on where the stage of the company is in their growth cycle, I guess. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think the important distinction to make there is not growth as an age uh and it's more growth of the industry growth of the market so i think it's fair to say a company like coca-cola uh pretty much everybody already knows about soda and uh unless you want to go maybe underground and start selling soda to those people i don't think there's much more that the market can grow from there Um, (laughs) no (laughs) a company like corning who's uh like a classic picks and shovels company they're uh, supplying glass for a lot of different uses like TV monitors, uh, computer screens, cell phone screens, windshields on cars. Um, because of everything with technology, I think there's a lot of room for that market to still grow with all the touchscreen mania and the whole smart house thing where everywhere you look, you're going to have a glass, some sort of device, right? So, uh, I think that would be kind of a way to look at the difference and you can kind of see from the way the growth numbers are looking from within that industry itself. So I'm sure I don't know the exact numbers. You made a guess on the payout ratio and you're right. Uh, previous quarter was like 88%, but I'm guessing oh, like okay. the beverage industry, probably lower growth compared to some of the other ones, particularly like social media mm-hmm. or tech. So, payout ratio good one to look at and i was gonna ask do you have like a rain like you mentioned you uh try to get it somewhere reasonable this is something where i've never seen someone like come out and say definitively that this is the range you need to be in um i think we all have our preferences do you have a range that you prefer i prefer again depending on where the company is in their growth cycle I probably prefer an under 50%. Okay. That's kind of what I shoot. That's, that's kind of what I would shoot for. Um, just because I want them to still have money to do stuff. You know, it's, if they tie it all up by giving it to me, then I feel like that it could impair the company five, 10 years down the road. And I would rather see the company pay me a dividend within reason because again we're looking for capital allocators we're looking for people to take that free cash flow and figure out what they're going to do with it and what's going to be the best interest of the company and us as a shareholder and giving me a huge dividend while it helps me fatten up my paycheck and my book it doesn't necessarily help me with the long-term growth of the company because when i buy into company a i want them to be an investment i can be in for the next 40 50 years you know like buffett's been able to be with coca-cola with amex with wells fargo 
uh, you know, being involved with those companies for a really long time has helped make him, you know, a gozillionaire. And that's what I want. And I don't want them to give me all their money now. I want them to give me the money over the next 40 years. Yeah, that dividend growth is key because like we said, and this kind of goes to the last metric I want to talk about that's just a basic one that's generally used. Uh, it's called yield on cost. And basically, uh, when you have a stock that you've picked and, and their dividends growing every year, well, you just make that one-time initial investment and now you have an income stream that's growing. So that yield on cost is basically measuring how much you paid for the stock and then how much you're receiving in dividends Um say five, 10 years down the line. So let's go back to that example, right? We have a $100 stock. It's paying us a $3 dividend. And just to make things simple, let's say um, it's been 10 years and the and the yield's now 12%, right? It's paying us $12 now um, because every year that, that company is slowly growing their dividend. So because we paid a, a $100 and the yield we're getting now is $12, now that's a 12% yield on cost. And so you'll you'll see that grow as as a company grows their dividend, and that's nice because you're just getting higher and higher yields as the years go on, and you didn't have to do anything. All you have to do is just purchase, sit, and wait, and the company is going to do the work, and they're going to do the compounding for you, and you just let those paychecks come on in. So I think that's really the the beauty of investing, long term investing, buy and hold. Uh, that's really where the magic is, and and that's why I think. Dividend, just talking about dividends, trying to find good dividends. I think that's why it's so crucial and why I only buy dividend paying stocks because it really could only take, you know, a couple good dividend investments that could power the returns for the rest of your portfolio and for the rest of your life, um, especially if you're making significant investments and seeing these income streams that really, really grow and, and really become something substantial. Hey, you. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. So these are all metrics that um, Wall Street kind of generally uses. The everyday average Joe investor generally uses. <laughs> Without uh, risking losing, I guess, some of the people who are more beginners, I, I want to maybe dissect these a little bit further and, and talk about how can we improve them and make them better. So I think, you know, we mentioned dividend growth. And so I think there's a danger in getting fixated on on that growth. And so we need to temper it and we need to scale it back. We need to put some checks and balances into it. So, you know, if I have a stock and, you know, on the surface, everything's going to look great. And Trust me, whenever I, I get these emails, uh, these alerts, these news alerts from the stocks I own, and, and they tell me when uh, that dividend gets raised. And every single time I see a, a higher raise, you know, if it's up 11% from last quarter, I'm stoked. I'm happy. And that's just that initial kind of buzz that I feel. I feel really great about my dividends going up. The problem is um, if a company is not growing their business alongside their dividend payment, on the surface, everything could look a-okay, but um, basically, it's it's a charade, and it's not something that's going to last forever. If you if we we talked about payout ratio and how you're taking a part of your earnings and and you're paying it out in a dividend, and then the other part, maybe you're reinvesting in the business, maybe you're paying off debt, maybe you're trying to grow the business, whatever it is. 
if you have a dividend payment that's growing and growing and growing, that payout ratio is growing and growing and growing. Well, you can't exceed 100%. At some point, if the dividend payment goes up faster than the earnings go up, you're going to run out of earnings to distribute. And so at some point, you're going to have to cut the dividend. And that's going to be painful. It's, it's very painful because investors don't like to see that. We talked about consecutive years of dividend growth and how much weight is really put on those things. And so once a company builds that, if they ever have to cut the dividend, you will see their share price. Almost guaranteed you'll see that share price really, really crash down pretty drastically, uh, particularly if, if the stock has a reputation for being a dividend payer and having a lot of investors who are relying on that dividend for income. So the thing that I kind of propose in, in the, the four-part blog post series as um, a metric to take dividend growth to the next step. And so basically, instead of just looking at dividend growth, if we also look at earnings per share growth and debt to equity growth, make sure that you know if they're on par with each other. So we want the dividend growth and the EPS growth to at least be close to the same. That's going to be the ideal situation. Again, if the dividend growth is growing faster than the earnings growth, at some point that's going to have to pare down. So either the dividend will grow more slowly or it's going to have to stop growing at all. So we want to make sure we're, we're thinking about that when we, when we examine a stock and, and how they've done with their dividend growth. And then the other aspect that I think dividend investors should look at is the debt to equity ratio. You know, I've talked about this several times in previous episodes about how the debt to equity ratio can be a great metric to tell us how risky a company is. And how um, companies that have gone bankrupt, uh, a high debt to equity ratio is one of those major factors that that can lead to bankruptcy. And it just makes sense in the same way that somebody who has a lot of debt in real life is at risk for bankruptcy, or at you know at risk of missing their payments, being late with their payments, just because they have so many payments to keep up with. Is the exact same thing in the stock market. And what do you think happens if a company? has to choose between making a payment you know, to go into default or paying out their dividend. They're going to cut that dividend if the debt payments are too high. So at the same time, you know, if you have high earnings growth, you have high dividend growth, but you also have high debt to equity growth, what you have is a lot of debt and a lot of interest payments accumulating. And so what you have is you don't have real business growth. You have growth that's fueled by leverage. And that can last for a while, but again, it can't. You can't grow leverage indefinitely. At some point, you have to stop borrowing, and so in the same way that high dividend growth without the earnings per share growth is unsustainable, high debt to equity growth um, at too high a scale is also unsustainable. So I, I basically just that was like the first metric I, I presented. It's just let's take the dividend growth, but let's. Let's penalize it, subtract the, the earnings per share, subtract any debt to equity growth. And that will give us a more complete picture of what what was the actual business growth and dividend growth. So that's kind of the first thing I think that investors should look at when when they're taking these basic metrics into account. The second thing, and I think this isn't talked about hardly at all, is um, like special dividends. Again, it's one of those things when I see an announcement for a special dividend on the stock I own, I get really happy. Uh, 
anybody should, right? It's it's free money. Basically, you know, your regular dividends, they tend to be paid out quarterly, uh, four times a year. Some stocks will do it biannually, two times a year. A special dividend is one where, where management says, look, we got, you can think of it as like a profit sharing thing where maybe they had a really great year and they just want to reward, give some of that money back to shareholders. So they'll We'll give a special dividend, which is just a dividend that's in addition to the regular uh, scheduled dividends. Sometimes, you know, the the management could also look and say, well, you know, as far as growing our business or reinvesting in another business venture, that money, sure, we could reinvest it, but it wouldn't be as efficient as maybe giving it back to shareholders and letting them kind of take that money and compound it for themselves. So that's another reason why they might pay a special dividend. So I think there there aren't really any metrics for re- basically like rewarding managements who are who are thinking of shareholders in this way. You have to think uh, if you are in the management's shoes and you had all this extra money, when you think your your financial incentive, your bonus, your own personal bonuses are tied to how high the stock price goes. Um, because special dividends aren't really given that much attention, not that I've observed anyways. Um, you, you would think, you know, even if I, as a capital allocator, maybe I'm going to take this money instead of giving it back to shareholders, I'm going to invest it in this, this project that's maybe not as profitable, you know, maybe the only returns me 3% return on my equity, but Hey, it's still going to grow my bottom line. Uh, a lot of managements can, and a lot of managements do do that. But I think if if we get to a point where maybe as shareholders and investors we're taking into account and really uh, rewarding the managements who give enough money back to the shareholders like they should, I think uh, that could maybe incentivize more managements to do the same. So the only thing I've seen on on Wall Street is certain companies will get a reputation for doing special dividends. Like Costco's an example where they've done a special dividend so often that it's almost like regularly scheduled. So, you know, that's obviously a benefit to the special dividend, but a lot of times there'll be companies that just kind of pay it as, as they see it fit. So we need to, when we're thinking about how, how is this stock and how is it doing for me? And is it giving me the type of dividend income I need? I think we need to take that into account and we need to really take the, take the evaluation of the business underneath the stock a step further. You could, sure, I mean, you could look at a stock's yield. What's the yield? What's the yield on cost? How much have I personally received in dividends and, and how much has that grown over time? You can do that, but like Dave was saying earlier, sometimes dividend yields go higher just simply because Wall Street hates a company and and makes the stock price go down. So, you know, it's not fair to evaluate management or eva- uh, let's say you have two businesses, you have um, an ice cream business and like a airplane business, right? It's not fair to to like the airplane business more just because it gave you a higher yield when when you first made the investment. You know, maybe the ice cream business is actually the one doing better things with the capital. Maybe over the long term they'll do better. So this is something maybe to keep in mind and help you with decision making is to instead of look at your personal income streams, look at 
how the the business is doing because you can't rely on on how the market's going to move. What's maybe more reliable is how a management has historically managed a company and how that business has historically performed and how likely it is to continue. So to kind of wrap all of that up and to combine it in an easy metric that we can use, I, I think we, we take the payout ratio and we just, um, instead of just looking, because the common payout ratio is, is they, they usually just look at one year and they'll, and, you know, I do this too, just kind of when I'm checking with a quick glance. I mean, we did it with Coca-Cola uh, a second ago. You just take one year of dividend payments, one year of earnings, and that's the payout ratio. But, you know, earnings fluctuate so much. Over a 10-year period, most stocks will see their earnings go up and down uh, in a much higher kind of rate of volatility than the dividend payment. So that payment ratio could really fluctuate a lot and not give you a complete picture so I think we need to look at payout ratios over a span of five to 10 years. I, I picked 10 years because I like that. Um, and I think when you're looking, when you're trying to calculate the payout ratio, make sure you're including special dividends on top of the regular dividends. And so you, all you have to do is you just add up all the regular dividends, all the special dividends over a 10-year period. And then you do the same for the earnings per share over that 10-year period. And that, once you divide the dividend uh and you divide it by the earnings per share, that's going to give you a more accurate payout ratio over the long term. So I called that um, the 10-year true payout ratio. So those are just the two metrics I think that can take standard dividend metrics and, and, and take them to the next level. So I think if you can combine these two metrics, um, I don't have the computer resources or the um, time really to, to make like a screen for this but i think somebody could take this idea and run with it but if you can find businesses that have a good balance of both you know uh, somewhere with the, the true payout ratio and a range you like to see it so if like like dave said if you're looking at a stock that's maybe in the growth stage maybe you want somewhere closer to 25 uh to 50 percent maybe if you're a little bit more conservative, you like to get dividend income payments. You're looking at maybe something more 50 to 75. I think just stocks that kind of stay away from the extremes, uh, maybe anywhere between 25 to 75%. I think that's a good barometer for a good payout ratio. Stocks that are probably giving you enough dividend income back for your investment while also reinvesting it back in the business. Um, that can be a good indication. And then if you have that first metric I was talking about with dividend growth, EPS, and debt equity growth, I called that um, business-based dividend growth. And if, if a stock has that plus uh, a, a healthy payout ratio, true payout ratio, um, then obviously they're doing a good job at allocating capital because they're growing the dividend health at a rate that you like to see. They're also growing the business alongside of that. So it's not making that dividend payment, uh, not lowering that figure for this metric. So if you can find maybe um, both of those together, um, I think it can set you up for really kind of identifying the the stocks that have historically um, done well from a business perspective. They've grown the business. They've returned capital to shareholders. 
And that can kind of give you insight more so than like a dividend yield can or, or a share, a stock price chart can. I think it's it's something that people can definitely use and something that I'm starting to look at. I mean, I looked at my dividend fortresses that I hold and I reviewed those and, and I was kind of surprised because um, I, I had a stock that paid a special dividend and I thought, wow, this... <laughs> This company is so generous. They're giving me so much back. But when I did a 10-year true payout ratio, I was like, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's really low. I think it was like 16 or 20%. And I compared to another Dividend Fortress I own where they never gave me a special dividend, but they were just consistently giving me regular dividend payments. And it turns out their payout ratio was like a 50% uh, over 10 years. And so... That kind of gives me better clarity on on the stocks that I own, and I'm like, okay, now I get it. You know, they're giving me this much in earnings. This is how much this company is giving me, and then you can you can also take that and look at the growth rates like we discussed, and I think you can really get better picture, make better buy decisions, make better sell decisions, and hopefully optimize your portfolio for the best dividend payments, the best dividend increases, and the best compound interest you can have for your money. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our all-dividend, all-the-time conversation. And we talked a little bit about some of the metrics, and I think Andrew made a great analysis of the two metrics that he came up with, and I thought they were both awesome. I thought that was really cool. And I enjoy his in-depth discussion of those, and I felt like I understood them. So that was really neat. And I'm going to actually try to use those myself. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys have a great week. Enjoy your time together. And without any further ado, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. And we'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.